A'udhu Billah Minash Shaitan Ar-Rajeem Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajil farajahum Brothers, sisters, respected viewers Assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and thank you for joining us as we resume the series that we began on the theme of knowledge within the greater scope of uh, the series of lectures that we are dedicating to trying to understand the Islamic principles to live in this world and the first theme that we wanted to explore was that of knowledge and within that theme as when we left off, uh, as you inshallah will remember, we were talking about jahl, which we defined as ignorance and foolishness. So today inshallah we'll try, uh, if we have enough time inshallah we'll try to wrap up this topic, uh, the topic of jahl and uh, move on to the next. Um, so the focus for today as we've been trying to do is once we explore, once we study the, what the narrations, what the sayings uh, are teaching us, we also try to anchor everything in the Holy Quran. So today we wanted to focus on the verses of the Holy Quran as they address the topic of Jahl. Uh, and it is not because uh, there are no more sayings or no more narrations, a hadith left on the topic. To the contrary, there's still quite a few. But generally speaking, we've covered all of the main, the key notions that we wanted to cover. There were maybe one or two narrations left that I thought are really worth at least mentioning, even if we don't spend too much time on them. Um, and then we move on to the verses of the Holy Quran, inshallah, for the remainder of uh, today's session. So the first hadith comes to us from Imam Ali salam, in which he says, so very much in line with uh, kind of a recurrent theme that we saw again and again. The Imam says, avoid about uh, avoid speaking about that which you do not have any knowledge. Don't talk about it if you have no knowledge. والخطاب, and so in other words, and don't talk about things about which you have no duty, you have no responsibility. They shouldn't really be of your concern. And so this could be justified and explained in different ways. So you're wasting energy on something that's not really of importance to you. There's probably something that deserves your attention more. You're probably going to get yourself in trouble by talking about things that have nothing to do with you and so on and so forth. And so both of these I think we've seen separately. Uh, here they're combined, so not to talk about anything until we have full knowledge of it. And if it's not something that directly concerns us, then it may be wiser not to talk about it at all. So that was one. And the other one which uh, I thought is uh, perhaps a little bit uh, of a metaphor that uh, inshallah you keep in mind and to a very large extent it helps us even understand the entire structure of the series uh, on life and why we began with knowledge and where we're going with it 
uh, but something just to keep in mind in general. So this one from Imam Sadiq salam, he says, Al-Amil ala ghayri basirah Kassairi ala ghayri tariq Fala taziduhu sar'atu sayri illa bu'da The person who is Al-Amil. So generally we could say it's the person who acts. But it could also be the person who is acting even with the intention of acting religiously, right? It's amal al-amil. But any worker, any agent, any person performing action, al-amil, Imam Sadiq says, the one who acts ala ghayri basira, without having the proper insight about what they're doing. So basira is the same root as basar, right? To be able to see. In religion often, the term can be uh, used interchangeably here and there, but usually we, re- we use basira as kind of a, the, the eye of the mind or the eye of the heart. That's your basira. And oftentimes in the ad'iyah, for instance, in the evocations, you will see the term used about your ability, your heart's ability to see. It's seeing spiritually, spiritual insight. Okay, so the Imam here, he says, the one who acts without basira, without this insight, without spiritual insight, it is as though they are a traveler who does not know the way. Moving faster will only lead this person to being further and further away from their aim. When you don't know the way and you're just wandering aimlessly, you do have an aim but you don't know how to get there, the Imam says, if you don't know, if you don't have that basira, if the way is not clear to you, every step that you're making, you're probably moving in the wrong direction. And moving faster will only get you further and further away, faster and faster away from the aim. So make sure that you go and get the insight that you need. So I thought that at least I would share the hadith with you without spending too much time on them. Uh, but I thought both of them were important, especially the second one. I don't think we've seen something in this uh, presented in this manner until uh, now. So, inshallah, you find them useful. So, with this said, uh, we wanted now to move to the uh, second part, or the part that we wanted to focus on today, which was going to be uh, the verses of the Holy Quran that talk directly about the topic of jahl. And so. As we've said since the beginning, we always try to validate what we've been covering uh, in the ahadith through the Holy Quran. We want to make sure that everything is anchored in the Holy Quran. The ahadith often are going to give us more detail. The Quran is a lot richer, but it's a lot more condensed, right? And so we could spend a very long time on a single verse, for instance, whereas the ahadith give us a lot more details and uh, they're a little bit more pointed and practical. So we now go back to kind of the roots of all of this and to try to see what the Holy Quran says about this general uh, topic of jahl. The only order I would say that I put to the verses is that, uh, generally speaking, so this will not apply to each and every uh, set of verses or verse, uh, is that they've gone from the weaker to the stronger in terms of their effects, the effects of jahl the horrible consequences of jahl on our lives. So we will start from things that we can consider bad manners and bad character traits and end up with, you know, those who are, uh, you know, have lost completely their this life and the next and they are now in hell. 
Okay, so if that's the spectrum, then that's kind of how the verses have been uh, structured. That's the only logic to them. Uh, otherwise, the main theme, as we said, behind all of this is uh, the theme of jihad. So basically, the idea is we want to see what are the consequences of foolishness, what are the consequences of ignorance in the Holy Quran. Where do we find instances of this? And we'll try to cover all of the verses uh, as best we can today. The first set of verses uh, comes to us from Surah Al-Baqarah 2.216. The verse says, وَعَسَىٰ أَن تَكْرَهُ شَيْئًا وَهُوَ خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ وَعَسَىٰ أَن تُحِبُّ شَيْئًا وَهُوَ شَرٌ لَكُمْ Perhaps you may dislike or you may hate something though it is good for you and perhaps you like something though it is harmful for you and God knows and you do not know. The first link here beyond what the you know the the, the external meaning of the, the verse says, I think there is a link to be made. We saw some ver some narrations from the Imams that talk about hating things which we don't understand, which we don't have knowledge of. People hate right the things that they do not know. And we saw a number of narrations, especially from Imam Ali السلام, about this. So there's, I think, a first link to be made there. The second one is, it's not always a matter of knowledge. Sometimes it is. So you lack the knowledge and therefore you hate. So we definitely saw some narrations, but in other cases we do have the knowledge, but we don't have the discipline that goes with the knowledge. And we will see verses in the Holy Quran where it's not enough to have the knowledge, and we've talked about this uh, repeatedly. Uh, the point in the Holy Quran, or the point in Islam in general, when we're talking about knowledge, it's not just to acquire, to amass the information, it's what you do with it, it's moving into action. And so sometimes we have the knowledge, but what, what's lacking is the discipline. And here again, I think there is also a link to be made with the narrations that we saw because we talked about how the traits of the fool we saw is that the fool is going to be a slave to their desires. The fool is a person who lacks that discipline. They're a slave to their tongue. They're a slave to their desires. They can't have the discipline to act based on what they know. And so there's certainly something there too. And the third point, and inshallah, we're going to dedicate a number of lectures to this uh, in an upcoming uh, series um, the purpose of religion entirely one of the purposes of religion one of the major purposes has to do with this knowledge you hate things because you have no knowledge of them so religion is going to give you some of that knowledge so that those things that you dread or you don't like or you hate or you consider an enemy suddenly they become the things that you're familiar with and they put you at ease and the other side, the other point is the lack of discipline. Even though you know you may not have the discipline to act on that knowledge, this is the other purpose of religion, to give you that discipline. Okay, so inshallah we're, we're going to come back to that, but that's a first set of verses. The second one in Surah Al-Hujurat, verse 4, 49-4. The Quran says, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُنَادُونَكَ مِنْ وَرَاءِ الْحُجُرَاتِ أَكْثَرُهُمْ لَا يَعْقِلُونَ so Surah Al-Hujurat, inshallah, one day, it's, uh, I think, uh, one of those chapters that would be very important to study uh, in some detail. It's filled with things that we would consider etiquettes, how to behave properly, manners, 
Some of them have to do with uh, our individual manners and some of them have to do with collective manners in, in a community, in a society. And so one of the first verses in the surah begins with this. Verse 4, it talks about those people who used to come to the Holy Prophet and they would yell out his name over the wall and waiting for him. They would say, Muhammad, until he would come out. Okay, so that's their way of approaching the Holy Prophet And so there were verses in Surah Al-Hujurat that talk about this. We're not going to talk about them now. Uh, you can go back and read them, uh, chapter 49. In this specific verse though, so now we're, as one example of this, good manners and bad manners. This is certainly a really bad manner to have, to address the Holy Prophet in this way by yelling at him. And so the Quran says, truly those who call you behind the rooms or behind the private quarters or from behind the house, the wall of the house, most of them do not apply. أَكْثَرُهُمْ لَا يَعْقِلُونَ the Holy Qur'an is attributing this lack of manner to a lack of reason. Had they applied reason, they would not fall into this lack of manners. That's one. So, generally speaking, there is a foolishness here that is attributed to the lack of reason. That's one. And two, this is generalizable. Of course, it's not specific to just this uh, kind of foolish, silly act. Uh, on their part, we can generalize this to all of our lives too. That the moment you start slipping in terms of applying reason, you will most likely also slip when it comes to manners. And manners do matter in Islam. It is not a matter of, you know, you may choose to have better manners or not. Manners are part of your Islamic character and inshallah we're going to come back to this. There's a dedicated place for this in our religion. It is expected of you that you have the most exemplary manners. And if you can't, you try to aim for them. But it is part of who you're supposed to be, part of your Islamic character. This is not a kind of an optional, uh, by choice thing to do. If you are a good Muslim, then it should go without saying that you have really good manners. In fact, you should have such good manners that it attracts people to your religion just because of your manners and nothing else. Okay, so inshallah we'll talk more about that. Uh, at a later point. The third verse, these are the some of the character traits that we end up having and some of them are very deeply ingrained again because of this lack of applying reason. Where can a human being end up? We have in Surah Yusuf, Prophet Yusuf السلام, talking to his brothers at the end, to his siblings at the end of the story when finally he is acting as though he is the king, Yusuf alayhi salam, and they come, and after the, uh, all the events that have happened, and the last event having been, the last chapter of that is when he, you know, they were, it was claimed that they stole, and therefore he asked them to bring one of their brothers to leave as a ransom, and so they chose the younger brother of Yusuf alayhi salam. Right? In the narrations, his name is Binyamin. That they brought him and left him. So Yusuf السلام, at the end, he tells them, قَالَ هَلْ عَلِمْتُمْ مَا فَعَلْتُمْ بِيُوسُفَ وَأَخِيهِ إِذْ أَنْتُمْ جَاهِلُونَ He said, do you, not, do you know what you have done with Joseph and his brother when you were ignorant, when you were foolish? What did they do? 
They did everything they did out of their envy, out of their jealousy. Because when Yusuf was younger, they considered their father as showing more love towards him and more honor towards him. And Yusuf was still a child. So initially they decided that they would kill him to get rid of him so that the heart of their father belongs to them. And then finally, when they came a little bit to their reason, they decided, okay, we're not gonna kill him. We're not gonna murder him. We're just gonna throw him down the water well. So he might end up dying or someone might pick him up. But in any case, we're getting rid of him and then our father is gonna love us more. Okay, that was kind of the idea behind what happened. So that's what they did to Yusuf and then the entire story of Surat Yusuf, what happened to Prophet Yusuf But why did they do all of this? This was the result of their envy, of their jealousy. Yusuf at the end is telling them, everything you did, and they repeated the same thing with the younger brother of Yusuf later at the end of the story. Okay, and so he tells them, you did everything you did, قَالَ هَلْ عَلِمْتُمْ مَا فَعَلْتُمْ بِيُوسُفَ وَأَخِيهِ إِذْ أَنْتُمْ جَاهِلُونَ It's again because of your jahl. So the envy, the jealousy, these character traits, these ugly character traits are being attributed to what? To a higher trait, which is jahl, which is foolishness and ignorance. The next verse. In Surah Al-Fatih, we have a verse that says, Surah Al-Fatih 48 and chapter, uh, verse 26, 48-26, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala says, إِذْ جَعَلَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا فِي قُلُوبِهِمُ الْحَمِيَّةِ حَمِيَّةَ الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ فَأَنزَلَ اللَّهُ سَكِينَتَهُ عَلَى رَسُولِهِ وَعَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَأَلْزَمَهُمْ كَلِمَةَ التَّقْوَى وَكَانُوا أَحَقَّ بِهَا وَأَهْلَهَا وَكَانَ اللَّهُ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ عَلِيمًا they set, you can say zealotry, you can say stubbornness, pride, bigotry, rage. Let's use rage. Fury. When those who disbelieved set rage in their hearts. The rage of the age of ignorance. Hamiyat al-jahiliya. God set down his tranquility or his serenity upon his messenger and upon the believers and enjoined the word of taqwa upon them, they being more worthy of it and deserving of it, and God is knower of all things. What is this verse talking about? What happened here? There's a chapter in Islamic history that inshallah we one day can explore. It's an important chapter with many lessons in it that is usually referred to as the Treaty of Al-Hudaybiyyah. The Holy Prophet along with his companions, they were supposed to go perform the pilgrimage in Mecca. So, of course, this is towards the end of, uh, you know, the prophetic mission. Islam had become a lot stronger. The Mushrikeen of Mecca had become a lot weaker. They had lost one battle after another. And so, the Muslims had been promised by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by the Holy Prophet, that they are going to go and perform the pilgrimage. So they got ready and they went to perform the pilgrimage from the Medina to Mecca. When they reached Mecca, the Mushrikeen came out and they tried to prevent them from entering. And so the Holy Prophet entered into a negotiation with them 
with the Mushrikeen and they ended up writing a peace treaty that is referred to as Sulh al-Hudaybiyyah. And so long story short, the Muslims that year did not perform the pilgrimage. This is how it ended. They were all wearing their ihram. The Holy Prophet goes back and he orders the Muslims to, they had brought some cattle with them to sacrifice as part of the Hajj rituals. He ordered them to still sacrifice, to still slaughter those animals as part of the sacrifice. You had some people who were really against the, the idea and so on and so forth. Inshallah, one day we can study all the lessons and all the, uh, you know, everything that this incident reveals to us. But in short, we have this verse a little bit later in Sulh al-Hudaybiyyah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, so what happened? It's that the Holy Prophet has been preaching this religion for let's say 20 years now. And this peace treaty is being written. They refused to even write the first words on the treaty when the Holy Prophet said, let us write Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. They said, no, we will not write Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And so they ended up writing Bismikallahum because this was a formulation used in the Jahiliyyah. And then when he said this is going to be a treaty between Muhammad the Prophet and the Messenger of God, Muhammad Rasulullah, they said, you do not write Rasulullah. There's a famous incident in which we are told, for instance, we need to authenticate, but in which Imam Ali was the one writing the sulh when everybody was sitting and the Holy Prophet was dictating. And he said, delete. They said no. So the Holy Prophet told Imam delete Rasulullah. Just leave Muhammad. He said, I will not. And so the Holy Prophet himself deleted it. Okay, so that I will not refuse, I refuse to remove the words messenger of Allah here. In any case, they refuse that. So there is an allusion to this in the verse when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this verse, when those who disbelieved, they set in their hearts uh, a rage and a fury. Which fury? The fury that they were still carrying from the age of ignorance. The same kind of blinding anger and hatred that they used to have and they used to rely on in Jahiliyyah, they brought it now and they're still carrying it right now. Okay? So the idea here is that, of course, the, the verse continues, but I think that the anchor and the story and the context are clear in that after they did all of this, it was in their customs themselves that they would perform the pilgrimage. The pilgrimage was performed in the time of Jahiliyyah. They would consider Mecca to be a safe sanctuary for everyone. They thought that it was important for someone to be a good host if they come over to you. These were their part of their culture, part of their beliefs, pre-Islamic beliefs, pre-Islamic customs. They were breaking their own customs, even those things which they considered to be good, they were ready to break away with all of them, blinded by this rage against the Holy Prophet So this is on one side. On the other side, this is where, you know, if we were to go a little bit deeper in the verse you see, and especially if we understand the context of the event, the Holy Prophet did not deal with them in the same way. The Holy Prophet is the one who very quickly turned the situation into a peace negotiation, a peace treaty. Something was signed that this year they would not allow the Muslims to enter, but 
in return they will allow them to come back the next year and that became Fathan Mubina that was the Fath al-Mubin the Muslims some of them who were with the Holy Prophet they could not see that at the time you Prophet you claimed you promised us that there would be a great victory and in their minds a great victory is entering to perform the pilgrimage this year and it did not work out so they started rejecting they started resisting they started questioning the prophethood of the Holy Prophet what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promise you? Did, were we not supposed to be victorious? How is it that they're not letting us perform the pilgrimage? And they were not happy. But the Holy Prophet and those who were with him, they did not let that deter them. They still acted with wisdom, with patience. The Holy Prophet was looking at much longer term than the immediate. Yes, in the immediate, I will negotiate a peace treaty so that we get something much better in the long in the long run, in the long term, and this is what happened the next year. They entered and it was Fath Makkah, and everything was done, and all the Muslims were able to freely come and go after this. Okay, so in any case, this is where you see the difference. So there's a, a link here that the Holy Quran is making between this Hamiya. Hamiya basically means heat. Okay, the same word Humma, for instance, is when you have a fever. Fever is Humma in Arabic. Or when you have a sunburn so the same term so there's a very uh, kind of the, the flames of, of rage and anger within someone sometimes it's rare but sometimes it's also used in a more neutral way just to talk about someone who has a lot of energy enthusiasm and zeal that is sometimes also used as hamiya but generally speaking and from the context here we know the Holy Quran is talking about an anger a rage a frustration that blinds you so you're not even able to think properly. You're willing to break away with everything, even those things which you... Now, you, didn't, you rejected the full truth, you rejected God and His Prophet, but you also are going to reject all of your own customs, right? Which is what they did. And they could not see beyond the immediate, but the Holy Prophet could. And this is part of what the Qur'an is saying, that they are bound by something else. Those people are bound by their blinding rage. The Holy Prophet is bound by kalimat taqwa the word of taqwa. There's a piety that makes you act in a completely different way. You're going to act based on patience and on wisdom, and you're going to look at the longer term. And in the end, this was very much to the favor of the Holy Prophet and the Muslims to do that. In the next verse, we also have a reference to al-Jahiliyyah in Surah Al-Imran. Verse 154. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, says, Then He sent down to you safety after grief, a drowsiness that came over a group of you, while another group, anxious only about themselves, entertained thoughts about God that are not true, thoughts of the age of ignorance. Again, they ask those people, do we have a say in the matter or are we, only, are we going to get a portion of the victory? I'm going to explain the context for all of this in a second. Say, all matters are destined by God. They conceal in their hearts that which they do not reveal to you. They say to themselves, if we had any say in the matter, none of this would have come. None of us would have come to die here. Say, even if you were to remain in your homes, or another interpretation, in your own beds in your homes, 
those among you who were destined to be killed would have met the same fate. Through this, God tests what is within you and purifies what is in your hearts, and God knows best what is hidden in the hearts. What's going on in this verse? This is a set of verses that were revealed about one of the battles in Islam called the Battle of Uhud. In the Battle of Uhud, again, we don't have time to go in the, the full chapter, inshallah, one day we explain it in much more detail, again, full of lessons. The Muslims were sure that they were going to be victorious. They felt that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had promised them victory, had granted them victory a few times by now. They went in overconfident, and they did not respect the main condition for their victory, which is to obey the Holy Prophet. So what happened in that battle is that while they were victorious and it was very clear that they were going to win that battle, they stopped listening to the orders of the Holy Prophet, they left their ranks, they started moving around, and the rumors that were being spread by the other army started to work. They said the Holy Prophet has been killed, the Muslims believed that, and they scattered. When the Holy Prophet had given them very clear instructions, no matter what happens, you do not move from your positions. The key to the entire battle is based on this, but they did not for all sorts of reasons. Some of them out of fear, some of them because of the rumors, some of them because, and that's the point of the verse, it's because they had doubts, they were hypocrites. They did not really have faith in this religion in the first place. So they were ready to turn sides or to run away at the slightest sign that maybe this is not gonna work out like they thought it would. Okay, so that's the point of this verse, among many other points. So what happens here after the battle is that this battle, as it's going, the Muslims start really to lose a large part of this battle, and then the Muslims go back. When they go to Medina, they feel defeated. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about that night coming back. The Holy Prophet and those believers with him, the Holy Quran says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the ghem is this feeling of grief and sorrow that afflicted you. What did he descend upon you? Min ba'dil amanatan. A safety in the form of what? Nu'asan. A drowsiness. Putting you to sleep. Yaghsha ba'ifatan minkum. That covers a group of you. Wa ba'ifatun. And another group. Qad ahammathum anfusuhum. They are really concerned about themselves. All that matters to them is themselves. What about them? Well, they're not covered by the drowsiness. They could not sleep that night. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving signs here. He's saying regardless of what has happened, there are those like the Holy Prophet and the believers with him. He gave them tranquility and peace and serenity after that sorrow. And they were able to go back and sleep that night. And on the other side, you have those who are still carrying the thoughts and the thinking and the attitude and the beliefs of the Jahiliyyah, as the verse will say later, they're only concerned about themselves and we'll see what they're saying. And they thought that maybe it would have been better for them not to be part of this battle. Had they stayed home, they would have avoided and others would have avoided this defeat. So the Quran refers to it as, you know, being murdered or killed, you know, going to a battle and losing some of your people and being injured and being defeated in that battle. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's what he's describing here. He's saying this is what's happening 
So the verse continues. They ask, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not only gives that sign, he starts saying what's going on in their hearts. What are they saying between themselves, these hypocrites? And then what is going down, deep down into their hearts? What are the thoughts going through their minds? They ask, do we have a say in the matter? Say all matters are destined by God. This is kind of a, uh, an iffy translation. The other way to translate it, as in, are we not going to get a portion of the victory? That's what they're saying. And if there's no portion of the victory coming to us, then how is this religion true? Because our belief in this religion should mean, can only mean that when we enter into a battle, we have to go out of the other side victorious. If we lose, maybe this religion is entirely false claims. It's not true. It's a lie. We put our faith in the wrong person and the wrong religion. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and this is the, the, the rest of it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, all matters are destined by God. They conceal in their hearts that which they do not reveal to you. They say to themselves, if we had any say in the matter, none of us would have come to die here. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Holy Prophet to tell them, say, even if you were to remain in your homes. Uh, in, in Arabic it says, uh, يخفون في أنفسهم ما لا يبدون لك يقولون لو كان من الأمر شيء ما قتلنا ها هنا قل لو كنتم في بيوتكم لبرز الذين كتب عليهم القتل إلى مضاجعهم Even if you were to have remained in your homes those upon whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had prescribed death would still have met their death This is not, You're not going to die because you're here or there You're going to die because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has destined death for you And then this is the link that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making. He's saying that all of this goes back to their beliefs. Their beliefs that come to them from the jahiliyyah. That's the link. The change of attitude, and that's the, the link I'm trying to, to do here. The age of jahiliyyah, the age of ignorance. Either you have accepted Islam and you have entered this new era, new attitude, new outlook, or you haven't. You can't keep carrying these ways of thinking when you have entered into this religion. And in this case, those people knew what they were doing and they were hypocrites. Okay, these were the munafiqeen that had kind of one foot in and one foot out. Some of them right out munafiqeen. Some of them, they kept going back and forth. They kept working with the enemy and working with the Prophet to see at the end who's going to be victorious, we're going to lean with them, right? And so through this, and that's the point at the end, this is what allows someone like the Holy Prophet and the believers to sleep peacefully that night. At the end, the Holy Prophet says through the Quran, through this, why does all of this happen? Through this, God tests what is within you and purifies what is in your hearts. If you don't go through these difficulties, you're not going to grow. It's only by losing as a community, as a society, that now you know that there are weaknesses that you can rectify, that you know that you have things that you need to be working on so that this doesn't happen again in the future. And then this is the one way to distinguish. It's very cheap and easy for people to say, I'm a believer. You can only get to that once, once you go through the difficulty. Once you go through the things that really push you to the limits and then you see who really still has their faith and who is willing to let everything go. And inshallah, one day we can get into a lot more detail about the Battle of Uhud. It's a fascinating chapter in Islamic history. Inshallah, we talk about it uh, more. 
and inshallah we can move a little bit faster for the remaining verses. 2.118 Surah Al-Baqarah verse 118 وَقَالَ الَّذِينَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ لَوْ لَا يُكَلِّمُنَ اللَّهُ أَوْ تَأْتِينَ آيَةً Those who have no knowledge, they start asking for foolish or silly things. And this is still something we see today. Those who have no knowledge say, if only God would speak to us or a sign would come to us. So to them, it's not sufficient. I will not believe that there is a God or that a God has sent a prophet and that he's instructing me to live in a certain way because the sign is not coming to me directly. The sign is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not talking to me directly. And so that's what I want. For me to believe in God, I need to see him, to hear him, or to have him give me the instructions directly, not go through someone. And of course, there's a component of arrogance in there. And you see that very explicitly stated in, in many cases that why would the Quran be revealed to uh, a normal man? Why wasn't it revealed on one of the great men of the two towns, right? Rajulan min al azim. In the, in the Quran, he says, those who wanted to disbelieve, they say, why didn't the Quran get revealed to someone who is much greater in society than this person who, you know, he might not be the, the wealthiest, he may not be the more powerful, whatever it may be that they considered their criteria. And we saw that, that again and again with the other prophets too, right? So anything is used as a justification. And this is where you have to distinguish and see when you're dealing with people are you dealing with people who are sincere to get to the truth or are you dealing with people who are re willing and ready to come up even with silly justifications and excuses any pretext is good you're going to keep coming up with conditions or silly requests that will never be met if you wanted to accept the truth there is enough in there for you to accept the truth and if you do not want to accept the truth, no matter what is going to come your way, you're not going to accept it. And this is something I, I've told many of you. I, I've heard it in one of the interviews. I remember that they were uh, doing with uh, Richard Dawkins at some point, and they were telling him, what would it take for you to believe in God? What would need to happen? And uh, what if you know a miracle were to happen right here in front of you? He said, yeah, something like that. I would need to see a miracle happen live in front of me. And then he added, and in that case, I would still probably explain it through science and I would still not consider that a belief in. Okay, so your mind is set. No matter what's going to be presented to you, your mind is set that there is no God. You're openly defying that idea, rejecting that idea, no matter what's going to be presented to you, right? So you see that in some of these verses. And this is, again, the idea that jahl in both its forms of ignorance or foolishness, this is what it leads to. Moving on, another verse, this one talking about how jahl could lead to traits that are more collective. So it's a lot of these were individual traits. Some of them are collective. What happens to a community or a society once this infiltrates in them? In Surah Al-Hashr 5914, They will not fight you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about groups that were fighting with the Muslims at that time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is giving an indication, telling the Muslims how these people really are. This is important that you know who your enemy is, their, their, their mental, psychological constitution. It's going to change how you approach them. They will not fight you even together, even when they're all rallied, because in a lot of these cases, these are different tribes. They would go and talk to each other that they are not really, they're not supposed to be allied, 
but they're all now in agreement that they want to get rid of the Holy Prophet in this new religion, right? And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, they will not fight you even together, even if they have the numbers and even if they have created these alliances, even together, except in fortified townships or from behind walls. They will not confront you openly like this. Their might or their harm is fierce or great among themselves. But when they are ready to come face to face with you, you see more cowardice from them than that. You suppose them united because you don't know what's going on inside, right? The Quran says you suppose them together, you suppose them united, but their hearts are divided. And this is a natural outcome of anyone who does not follow the truth. There's one truth. Falsehood is many. When you follow falsehood, you're going to be scattered. Truth is one. Those who follow truth, it's much easier for them to unite. Truth is clear. Truth is one. Everybody, it converges into one thing and people see it. Falsehood is scattered. In any case, but their hearts are divided. So you think, you suppose that they're together, but their hearts are divided. That is because they are people who do not reflect. So you see the cause of their disunity, their, the cause of their cowardice, even though they have the numbers and the alliances, is that they are not reflecting. Lack of aql. Regret. In Surah Al-Hujarat, again, this time in verse 6. As I said earlier, Surah Al-Hujarat filled with these very practical instructions. Here's another one. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu in ja'akum fasiqan binaba'in fatabayyanu an tusibu qawman bi jahalatin fatusbihu ala ma fa'altum nadimin. O you who believe. If someone who is, you would consider them to be openly sinning, openly sinful, you know, an obscene person, a profligate as they say, an iniquitous person. You say this is a fasiq. And they are coming to you with some piece of news. What do you do? Do you trust it? Because you're going to really just focus on the news and not the person. Maybe they're not trustworthy. Are you going to entirely reject it? Because you're going to say, this is not a trustworthy source, so I completely reject it and I don't look into it. No, the Quran says, when this fasa comes to you, فتبينوا. get to the bottom of it until it is clear to you. Seek clarification. Make it bayin, make it clear to you. So investigate it, but don't act on it. Either way, don't reject it and don't accept it. So again, this is the theme that if you don't want to fall into foolishness, if you don't want to do something that you're going to be remorseful and regret later, make sure you have the full picture. Investigate, get the knowledge, and then you can act, and then you can make, reach decisions. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, if they come to you with news, verify it, lest you harm a people out of ignorance. Literally the, 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 the verse is, it's beautiful how it's, it's said in, in Arabic. It says, and tusibu, it's like you hit or you strike, and tusibu qawman bijahala. So that you strike a people with your ignorance or with an ignorance. It's like you're, you know, you're shooting an arrow of ignorance at them. Because you did not have a full picture. You were not clear. You did not have evidence, full evidence on this, and you acted on it. So this is going to cause harm to someone. 
And then what will happen? فَتُصْبِحُوا عَلَى مَا فَعَلْتُمْ نَادِمِينَ And then you will fall into remorse and regret. So don't let that happen. Investigate before you have a knee-jerk reaction and just react quickly to something you hear. Either way, either by completely ignoring it, which may be harmful, or by completely accepting it, which is also harmful. So again, constantly the, the idea of going back to wisdom, moderation, and applying reason. We have many verses in the Holy Quran that talk about jahl being the cause of corruption, of obscenity, so on and so forth. Quick two examples. We have one from the story of Prophet Lut when he talks to his people. And Lut, when he said to his people, do you commit this indecency while you see? They were committing the indecency openly for all to see. They were not even hiding. And then later he says, rather, you are an ignorant people. So why did you fall into this? Because you're acting out of ignorance. That's one. Another one, Surah Yusuf Yusuf when there was this scheming done by the woman, they were trying to seduce Yusuf and he wanted to resist. So they told him basically, you accept our advances or we'll throw you in jail. So what was his answer? He said, Qala Rabbi, he prayed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Qala Rabbi sijnu ahabbu ilayya mimma yad'unani ilayya. To go to jail is much more to my liking than what they are calling me to. But it doesn't stop there. This is, I think that it, it goes the, the additional mile and the linkages with a lot of what we've been talking about. And if you do not turn their scheming away from me, I may start getting inclined towards them. Right? And then what would happen? And then I will be of the ignorant. So, Lut talking to his people saying this corruption and obscenity is what? A lack of reasoning. It comes from Jahl. Again, Yusuf says, if I fall into this corruption, I fall into a lack of reasoning. I'm falling into ignorance. It's always coming back to ignorance. And of course, there's, you know, we talked, I think, a number of times when we're going through the, the narrations, when we're just describing the fool, the traits of the fool, the jahil, we said that it's someone who's going to be overconfident, someone who's not going to learn from their mistakes, someone who will not admit their mistakes, someone who is always self-relying, right? We talked about all of this. Now compare this or contrast this with how Prophet Yusuf is talking and apply it to our lives. How many of us can say that we have this type of humility and how many of us are going to say it's okay for me to be surrounded in haram, it will never affect me. And Prophet Yusuf who is one of the highest ranking prophets the Holy Quran describes him as إِنَّهُ مِنْ عِبَادِنَا الْمُخْلَصِينَ Not مُخْلَصْ مُخْلَصْ okay? So not only is, does he have the highest level of sincerity, he has been selected and chosen. مُخْلَصْ Not مُخْلَصْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala استخلصه. Okay, It's when what you do to take the gold out. Okay, That's the, the process that you do. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's how he describes him. And Prophet Yusuf here is saying, if you do not not me, 
not my own powers, not self-reliance. You, God, if you do not help me get away from their scheming, if you do not protect me, even if it means protecting me by throwing me in jail, if you, if you do not protect me against their scheming, I may end up being inclined. I will incline. Maybe I'm going to start entertaining the thought of, okay, maybe this is not so haram. Maybe it's not haram at all. When before it was a black and white thing for me. What is he describing here? He knows human nature. You are surrounded by haram. What, what is this uh, mountain of, of resistance and strength that you think you are, that you are nev never going to be affected by anything going on around you? That's foolishness. And the opposite of it is the humility we've been talking about. The aql. Imam Ali salam described it in the sermons that we went through. The Holy Prophet described it. He said that you see these people, the fool, he's always willing and ready to jump into any problem, any calamity, any uh, dubious matter. And you see the aql always hesitant, never entirely sure whether they have what it takes, the strength, the knowledge that it takes to get into something like this and the fool rushing in. Right? So this is what Prophet Yusuf السلام, is asking Allah subhanahu wa Don't put me in that situation. If, it, if I stay in that situation long enough, who knows what will happen? We believe nothing will happen. We believe he's an infallible prophet. We're talking about what he's sincerely asking, invoking of God. No one knows this. Only Allah subhanahu wa knows this is happening. And centuries later, Allah subhanahu wa is telling us what he prayed to him. Right? قَالَ رَبِّ السِّجْنُ أَحَبُّ إِلَيَّ مِمَّا يَدْعُونَنِي إِلَيَّ وَإِلَّا تَصْرِفْ عَنِّي If you don't make their kaid, their scheming, go away from me, أَصْبُ إِلَيْهِنْ وَأَكُمْ مِنَ الْجَاهِلِينَ And that's the greatest fear, and we'll come back to that. The prophets don't never want to be falling, slipping in the category of jahl. They'll do anything not to fall in that category. In the next set of verses, the blind following. Again, something that we've talked about in the past related to Jahl in Surah Al-Anbiya. Prophet Ibrahim السلام, when he talks to his people, when he said to his father and his people, what are these images to which you are clinging or cleaving? And then the next verse he says, shame on you. Shame on you and whatever you worship instead of God, do you not have any sense or do you not apply any reason? So, here, the first point is, the best reason they have, this is what he's finding shameful and woeful. Another verse, that's their best argument. We found our fathers and their fathers worshipping them, and so therefore, we continue to worship them. He told them, then, then shame on you. If this is the best argument that you have, just repeating what your parents did and your forefathers did, that's not enough of an argument. That you are worshipping these statues, these idols, instead of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's one. And of course, so uh, at the end of the verse, So he's saying basically you're lacking reason. If this is the excuse, the reason, the justification you're giving me, then you're not applying your rationality here. In another verse, we have these three types of people described in Surah Al-Hajj. 
ومن الناس من يجادل في الله this inshallah one day we can dedicate a lecture or lectures to them in surah al-hajj from starting from verse about 3 to verse 11 except for a couple of verses that you take out that talk about something else there's kind of a situation going on here. In verses 3 and 4, you have a description of a group of people. And among the people, there are those who dispute about God. They dispute, they argue about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without knowledge. And what else? What's their other trait? And they follow every defiant devil or every defiant evil. يَتَّبِعُ كُلَّ شَيْطَانٍ مَرِيدٍ And then كُتِبَ عَلَيْهِ أَنَّهُ مَنْ That's one. You go a few verses later, you have another verse that starts in the same way. وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يُجَادِلُ فِي اللَّهِ بِغَيْرِ عِلْمٍ Again, people who are disputing in Allah, let's generalize it and say disputing the truth. بِغَيْرِ عِلْمٍ Without knowledge. And then the verse continues, وَلَا هُدًا وَلَا كِتَابٍ مُبِينٍ وَلَا كِتَابٍ مُنِيرٍ In the first case, you have people who are going to reach whatever they want to reach in terms of belief, in terms of outlook, in terms of truth. They're willing to argue anything you present to them. And what's their trait? They do not rely on ilm, the Quran says, which I would argue here means aql. They don't have any real rational justification for their belief one and they are willing to follow anyone who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to here as a defiant devil okay in the second verse there are people who are going to argue and to reject the truth again who are also not relying on true aql they do not have a real rational reason for it, but it continues, And they do not follow any guidance. And they do not have any illuminating scripture that they're following. If we were to continue to the next verse, and I didn't want to do this about these verses, but this second verse, it continues, and then we understand the difference between these groups. It says, this person has Al-Atf is your side. Thaniya Atfihi, they've turned their side, so away from the truth, away from the signs, and they're busy with what? To misguide from the way of Allah. To make people go astray from the way of Allah. That's literally what the verse says. So what's the difference between these groups? All of it based on beginning with this trait. These people who are not following reason. In the first case, you have the people who do not follow reason and therefore they follow everything else. And we saw the many narrations, the many sayings that talked about this. Those people who worship their own desires. The people who are basically going to go after everything superficial. They find something someone else has and they run after it. I would argue that all of this falls under Kulla Shaytan and Marid. These are the followers. These are the sheep. This is one consequence of Jah. The other one. The other ones are the ones who want to lead. You have the ones who are happy to follow. 
And then the second one, you have the people who, are want, who want to be the ones leading others astray from the way of God. And how do they lead? Through reason? No. Again, the Holy Quran says, they do not rely on anything that the Quran considers respectable. They do not follow reason. There is no ilm. They do not, these people, accept the guidance of anyone else. No scripture from God, for instance, has come to them to help them in this. So what's left? What's left is your own desires. So, but what do you do with them? You try to get people to follow you. So here we have the two groups of people. The third is implied here. There are people who are disputing in God. There are people who are questioning the truth. But in the first category, we have people and who follow every shaytan and marid. In the second category, they are disputing and they're questioning the truth. But that is because they want to lead people astray, away from Allah. So who's left? Is the Quran saying you cannot dispute in God? No. But when you dispute, it has to be based on reason. And it has to be based on sincerity. Which will, inshallah, bring us later to discussing the place of doubt and questioning. Are you not allowed to have any doubts and any questions? Of course not. You're allowed to question. But it has to be with sincere intentions. You want to get to the truth. And in that case, the Quran would not be, these verses don't apply to you. These verses are talking about someone who wants to follow the defiant devil and the person who wants to lead people astray from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the third category, those who question because they want to get to the truth. And so the doubt and the questioning becomes an intermediary, even necessary step. You want to get to the truth, sometimes you have to go through some doubt and some questioning, and that's fine. This is not a sin. It's what's the intention behind it. Are you truly sincere in trying to get to the truth or not? So that's all I'll say here. There's a lot more to say, but uh, we're trying to finish. Human value. And this is something we've talked about when we talked about the importance of knowledge and the importance of aql. In Surah Al-Anfal 8, 21 and 22, Allah says, Do not be like those who say, we have he heard or we hear, and they do not hear, and they have not heard. So what does that mean? It's very easy, it's very cheap to say, yes, I have heard. Yes, I carry the knowledge. But the truth in truth is, these people have not really heard. And we've talked about this at length, especially in the previous series, in the Aqa'id, the theology, beliefs series. How do you know that you've really heard, that you've really learned, that there's true knowledge now being carried? You have to see it in your actions. It's not enough to say, I have heard. How have your actions changed? It has to be transformational knowledge. Otherwise, what good does it do that you know the truth, but you still act against it? Right? So, So, the Quran gives this general statement, don't be like those who say we have heard and they have not heard. And then the next verse says, The worst of the living creatures in the 
eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are الصم, البكم, those who are deaf and dumb and who do not apply reason. So in other words, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you all of these faculties and you claim to be using them, but in truth, you refuse to use them. So you refuse to use your reason. And all of these faculties are supposed to be under the faculty of reason. In another verse, in Surah Al-Ra'd, verse 19, so 13, 19, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, These are verses we went through in the past, so I'm not going to spend too much time on them. Is the one who knows what has been down, sent down to you from your Lord is the truth. Are they like the one who is blind? Only those who possess intellect will remember. That's one. And the other verse, And they are not equal, the blind and the one who sees, nor the darkness, and the light, nor the shade and the scorching heat, nor are they equal, the living and the dead. Indeed, God alone makes whoever he wills to hear. You cannot make those who are in their graves hear. They're dead. So in other words, Allah subhanahu wa is equating the person who refuses the truth to be like someone who is in their grave. And as much as you talk to them, the truth does not change anything, they remain under the grave and they do, don't do anything about it, right? So here, it's a metaphor, but it's a quite strong metaphor of the difference between applying reason and not applying reason, okay? So, and of course, in all of these cases, you are the one making the choice. Are you choosing light or darkness? Are you choosing life or death? Not biological death. This is true death, your true humanity. And we're gonna see that in the next verse, the cycle of human life. If we pay attention to how the verses talk about it, in Surah An-Nahl 78, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And God has brought you forth from the bellies of your mother. You do not have any knowledge. You have not knowledge of nothing. And then, And then He gave you, He granted you, so he gave you the hearing, vision, and hearts. Or this is the term the Quran used for the mind. And he gives you the mind. So that you may perhaps give thanks. So keep this verse in mind. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, You have left these bellies of your mothers not knowing anything. Is this a praise? Of course not. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reminding you of your very, very humble beginnings. And He's reminding you of everything that He's given you because at the end He says, so that you may give thanks to God for all these faculties that He's given you. In another verse, let's put them together. In another verse in Surah Al-Hajj, verse 5, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the beginning of the verse talks about khalq and nashr, right? So it's talking about the initial creation of God and then the resurrection in the afterlife. O people, if you are in doubt concerning the resurrection, know that we certainly created you from dust, then from a drop of fluid, then from a blood clot, a blood clot then from a lump of flesh, formed and unformed. Then we made uh, all of this so that we make it clear for you and we cause what we will to remain in the wombs 
for a specified term. Okay, and then, then we bring you forth as an infant, then that you may reach maturity. Okay, so in any, in every one of these cases, some people don't make it. Some people stop before. Some people continue. Then, 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 and then some and some are taken away. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala takes back some of you. That's death. And what else? And some are relegated to وَمِنْكُمْ مَنْ يُرَدُّ إِلَىٰ أَرْضَ الْعُمَرِ The most abject, the most low of ages. إِلَىٰ أَرْضَ الْعُمَرِ لِكَيْ لَا يَعْلَمَ مِنْ بَعْدِ عِلْمٍ شَيْئًا So that, what happens? So that after having known, they know nothing. Okay, and then, and you see the earth desiccated, but when we send down water upon it, it stirs and swells and produces every delightful kind. These are two metaphors going on at the same time in the verse. But the, here, the highlight, what I want to highlight is, keep the other verse in mind. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reminding us of the humble beginnings. Again here, you know nothing when you're born. And then what happens? You live, you grow, you reach maturity, you become strong and powerful, and you know things, and then slowly you start to decline, and some of you reach the lowest of ages, the most degrading of ages, the most abject of ages. Why? What makes it abject? What makes it so low? Where is this decline in your humanity? What's the cause? Is it the age? It's not the age. لِكَيْ لَا يَعْلَمَ مِنْ بَعْدِ عِلْمٍ Shay'a, you're basically going back full circle until you know nothing after having known. You basically start losing your mind of old age. This is a normal biological cycle. There's no issue with that in itself. But your humanity, beyond the biology of it, is in what? Is in your knowledge. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I am creating you from very humble beginnings. And if you live long enough, you will also go back to those beginnings. And there's a reason for that, inshallah, one day we'll talk more about why is it that this world is this humiliating for everything, including the human being. We have sermons from Imam Ali, entire sermons about this, so that the human being always remembers their beginning and their end, and never gets arrogant. You have to keep that in mind. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intentionally created things this way. So that it never gets to your head that you're something. You're nothing. You're a creature of Allah. You do based on what He has given you and show gratitude to the favors that He has given you at every step of the way. You control none of this. You're part of a much, much bigger cycle. And then at some point, Allah gives you these faculties and gives you these favors and gives you this power so that you may use it to be grateful. The previous verse said, are you grateful? We'll see. And then you live long enough and then slowly he starts taking these away until you reach the end. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمِنْكُمْ And some of you will reach that old age. يُرَدُّ إِلَىٰ أَرْضِ الْعُمُرِ We'll relegate them to the most abject, to the most low of ages, so that after having known, they know nothing. So where's the humanity in all of this? It's the part that you control. What did you do with the faculties we gave you? We're going to take them away. You're going to come back to us. You're no different than the earth. It's dead, it's barren, and you see the earth desiccated, but then when we send down water upon it, it stirs and swells and produces of every delightful kind. And then, and then it goes back to dying. And that's the normal cycle. 
and this applies to us in the same way. We're almost at the end. Disbelief also stems from jahl. In Surah Al-A'raf, we have the story of Prophet Musa in a number of chapters, including Surah Al-A'raf, chapter 7. So these are verses 138-140. We carried the children of Israel across the sea. So now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed them to escape. They have just escaped the God knows how long of a torture and humiliation of being enslaved by Pharaoh and his people with Musa salam. One miracle after another, the last one being perhaps the greatest one, the sea splits open and they escape and it closes back. They have just escaped. The Quran is very clear how it presents the information. We carried the children of Israel across the sea where they came upon a people clinging to certain idols that they had. What did they do? They turned to Musa and right away they said, they said, O Moses, make for us a God like the gods that they have. This God <laughs> that has just helped them through one miracle after another to escape is not enough for them. They want a God like the one that they're seeing these people worshipping. A God made of clay and stone and other materials. They liked that. The idea looked appealing to them. So they turned to Musa السلام, and they said, but we want a God like their God. So Musa السلام, he said, you are indeed an ignorant lot. What they are engaged in is indeed bound to perish. Your God does not perish. You have a true God. They're worshipping something that is going to be ruined soon and what they have been doing shall come to nothing. This worship of theirs is actually nothing. There's no meaning and there's no content behind it. Okay? He says, and then he continues, he said, Shall I seek for you a God other than Allah when he has favored you above the worlds? Especially at that moment, at that moment where they have just escaped and the, they've just gone across the sea. And the first people they saw, the first people they met, oh, they have their own God. How about we get one of those two? Okay, so there's a lot that we can create in terms of parallels and analogies with us, right? When you look at other people and you see what they have and you see what you have, do you just turn blindly to it and try to run after it and get one of those two? Or maybe what you have is true and what they're trying to run after is, as Musa السلام, says, It's going to ruin. Their, all of their actions are amount to batil, they're void, there's nothing, they're, they're cancelled by definition, right? And in another verse, Surah Al-Ahqaf, And mention the brother of Ad. So Ad are a people, and their brother basically means the Prophet sent to them from, their, from within. In their case, their Prophet was Hud, Prophet Hud السلام, When he warned his people at Ahqaf. Ahqaf means the, the dunes of sand or the lines that the wind makes in the sand, in the desert. Warners had passed away before him and after him saying, worship none but God, truly I fear for you from the punishment of a tremendous day. 
They said, Have you come to pervert us away from our gods? Then bring upon us that with which you have threatened us, if you are among the truthful. Okay, so if you say if what you say is true, if you say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will punish us, will strike us with this calamity and will just disappear, let it happen. We dare you, basically. He said, Knowledge is only with Allah. I will only convey to you that with which I have been sent, but I see that you are an ignorant people. So again, here you see the, the actions of his people is not based on any reason, rationality, justification. It's based on what we feel like doing, and there is no real uh, kind of rational basis for what their, the posi their position is. The people of hell, and I told you that we would end with those. Let's look at the people of hell. So in Surah Al-A'raf 7.179, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَقَدْ ذَرَأْنَا لِجَهَنَّمَ كَثِيرًا مِنَ الْجِنِّ وَالْإِنسِ We have created for or we have scattered in. It could mean both. We have certainly created for hell or we have spread out in hell many among the jinn and humankind. They have hearts with which they do not understand. They have eyes with which they do not see. They have ears with which they do not hear. Those are like cattle. Rather, they are more astray. It is they who are the ones who are oblivious. Okay? أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْغَافِلُونَ غَافِلَ is when you're oblivious. Something is happening around you and you're not seeing it. And that's exactly the definition. Right? Everything is happening in front of, of, in front of us in this world. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, We gave them eyes and we gave them ears and we gave them hearts and minds. But they don't see with them, they don't hear with them, and they don't understand with them. So they are like cattle? No, they are worse. Because you don't expect, you don't need, you don't think that the cattle are going to be able to use all of those faculties more than they do. But the human being can. So if you don't, given the capacity that you've been given, then of course you're worse. They can't be more, they can't be better than what the, the cattle can be better than what they are. You can. So if you're sinking to that, then of course you're worse than them. Right? So that's why the Quran says, no, they're worse than the cattle. In external appearance, they act like them. How are you different? And this is a question we need to ask ourselves. How am I different than cattle? Is my life only limited to, reduced to coming into this world and then eating and drinking and then growing and procreating and then dying and that's it? If that is the case, then you are no different than cattle. As Imam Ali salam says, hammuha alafuha. The main concern of that animal, that beast, is alafuha. Is the hay? Is there hay or no today? Can I eat my hay or not? That's my main concern. Is that our main concern in life? If it is, then how are we different? That's what the verse is saying. And then Surah Al-Mulk. So that's one. So that one begins with what? It begins by we have created for hell many human beings. It's as though they're labeled before coming into this world. Those people are labeled for hell. Why? Which ones are they? It's the ones who are not going to use the faculties we've given them. Including reason. One. The second verse in Surah Al-Mulk, These are people inside hell, talking to each other. And they say, Had we been of those who listen or apply reason, we would not have been among the inmates of the blaze. 
the blaze being one of the names of fire, sa'ir. Thus, they will admit their sin. What's their sin? They just said their sin. That's the Quran saying that was their sin. Thus, they will admit their sin. Which is, we were not of those who would hear and reason. That's their sin. So away with the inmates of the place. So again, this is, now we in the afterlife, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking, I've given you all of this. I've told you how to use it, all of these faculties, all of these favors. I've given you all of this potential. What are you doing with it? And at the end, it will be too late if you leave this world and only then realize, I did not use my hearing to hear and I did not use my reason to reason. It's too late. And perhaps let's end with these verses. As I said earlier, in many of the stories of the verses, you see that uh, the prophets, you see that one of the worst things to them is if they start feeling like they may slip into this category of ignorance. And so we already saw one of those examples in Surah Yusuf salam. how Yusuf says, I'd rather go to jail. And if you do not help me, if you, you do not help me, I will end up being inclined to them. I may be inclined to their seduction. I will maybe justify it to myself in some way. So here in Surah Hud, these are the verses of the story of Prophet Nuh And inshallah one day we'll get into the details of that. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered Nuh at the end to get on his ship, on his ark, and the water came and his son refused to join. So everything was said and done at the end and the, uh, you know, the, the, the water comes, people are destroyed, people are taken away, entire peoples. And then Nuh salam turns to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after things start to calm down and he asks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that perhaps he can save his son. His son who refused to join and who refused to go on the ship. His father is the prophet, is the messenger. He has been building this ship for God knows how long. Everybody who lived in that world considered him having gone completely crazy for building that ship on land. And the son knew farewell what the father was doing, what the father was claiming. I'm sure he had seen everything he needed to see to have belief. But in the moment of truth, he said, I will be safe on the mountaintop. He believed that the water will come. But he's, he told his father, no, no, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to go to the mountaintop. And Nuh told him, today there's not going to be any mountaintop that will protect anyone. Illa marrahim. Only those that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will have mercy upon will be saved on this day. He did not listen. He went to the mountaintop and he drowned. So after Nuh turns to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he tells, he asks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Maybe you can save my son. Maybe you can rescue my son. He says, when he said that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the answer came to Nuh alayhi salam. O Nuh, truly he is not. Innahu laysa min ahlik. Do not say he is min ahli. You're, you, your binding to people is not only based on your blood relation to them. So that you say he is min ahli. Someone at the level of Nuh salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say, do not call him my ahl. Do not call him my family and my blood tie. 
Don't refer to him that way. He is or it is. And there's a huge discrepancy between the uh, and the discussion between the, the exegetes, the interpreters of the Quran here. He is an act lacking righteousness. So the son himself is an act lacking righteousness. Or it is, so what he did is an act lacking righteousness. This would should not have been, it's not becoming of someone like him. And not only is it unbecoming of someone like him, it's also unbecoming of someone like you to ask me for this. So he said, so do not ask me that of which you have no knowledge. I advise you, lest you should be among the ignorant. So do not ask me for something of which you have no knowledge. If it happened, it happened under my decree because I wanted it to happen. So don't ask me something that questions that. Otherwise, you will fall into ignorance. So Nuh right away, he answers. He said, my Lord, truly I seek refuge in you from questioning you concerning that of which I have no knowledge. And if you do not forgive me and have mercy upon me, I shall be among the losers. So why? So this gives us the impression, it's as though Prophet Nuh thought maybe a mistake happened. Maybe this person was deserving of being rescued. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had promised Nuh that his ahl would be saved. So Prophet Nuh asked, Man ahli, wa Your promise is true. And you told me my ahl would be saved. So he is my ahl, so rescue him. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, it does not apply to him. And in other words, you don't know what is in his heart. You don't know what his true beliefs and his true intentions were. So don't ask me about something of which you have no knowledge, otherwise you fall in that category of ignorance. And the answer, immediate answer of Prophet Nuh I don't want to fall in that category. I seek your refuge from asking you about something of which I have no knowledge. The answer came back from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So disembark. Now that the ship has landed, disembark. minna. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now sending his salams upon Nuh alayhi salam. minna wa barakatin alayka wa ala umamin mimman ma'ak. Peace upon you and blessings upon you and upon nations who are with you. And of course, there were no nations with him. It's the nations that will come out of those of you and those who are with you. Okay, so I would say this is how Prophet Nuh did not fall into that. So he went back to the normal trajectory that was laid out for him. And he went through this mission and you see the end. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is back to sending his blessings and his salutation and his peace upon Nuh And in Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 67, The the story where Prophet Musa tells his people, remember when Moses said to his people, indeed God commands you to slaughter a cow. There was a whole incident that happened. Someone had been murdered. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told them, there's a way to do it, then you will know who the killer is. So instead of just doing it, they kept coming back to Musa They're trying to find an excuse not to do it. 
And so they kept coming back and saying, but what kind of cow? And what color is it? And what's its characteristic? And so on and so forth. So make it, and every time they asked, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it more difficult for them to find that cow. And there's a reason behind that. Inshallah, one day we go into that full story. But Musa alayhi salam tells his people, indeed, God commands you to slaughter a cow. They said, do you take us in mockery? Like, are you kidding? God wants us to kill a cow? What does that have to do with the murder? What's his first answer? He says, "Inni a'udhu, and qala a'udhu billahi and akuna min al-jahilin." Using this type of mockery would make me of someone who has jahl, would make me fall in the category of jahl, and I seek refuge from God. Qala a'udhu billahi and akuna min al-jahilin. Okay. So, of course, as we said, finally, the the verse of Surah Yusuf alayhi salam to also keep in mind as a few instances where you see the very strong reactions of the prophets against this notion of jahl, not wanting to ever fall into that category. So I'll stop here. And inshallah, the only thing left for the topic of jahl is perhaps we can maybe do this when we start the next time. I think it'll do a good recap of everything we've covered in the last four lectures. Um, as we've been doing all along in this series, the idea is that we extract from this um, barrage, this mountain of uh, scriptural uh, sayings and verses from the Quran, the original sources in Islam, we're trying to extract from them the principles to live in this world. So after you know, I dump all of this on you, every time what we're doing at the end is that for every topic, we are going back and just highlighting in very summary, you know, in statement form. Here are the principles that we have uh, extracted and found and discussed so far. So inshallah, perhaps so that we stop here and don't uh, make it last too long. We'll stop here and then inshallah, the next time we meet, we can begin with all of the principles, the main notions that we've extracted related to jahl, so ignorance and foolishness in Islam. And then we'll be ready to move on to the next topic. Wassallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi tayyibin al-tahirin. So I have nothing else. I'm more than happy if anyone wants to discuss any of this. You want to react to anything you heard, whether today. Uh, I, I know we've been off for a few weeks, so you can we can go back to anything that we've covered. Uh, I, I know there's a lot and we went through a lot today uh, but uh, hopefully you, you found it useful uh, some of some of it is more abstract some of it is more practical uh, but inshallah you find it all useful so any reactions any questions comments anything you want to discuss more than happy I think it's it's very practical um, for me, there was like one part where we need to like reason and investigate that kind of gives sense as if it's like management training and that's the kind of approach. Yeah. And I can see it very practical. Probably this is after years, this is my first lecture on, on Quran and understanding from that perspective. It does make sense. Yeah. That's uh, a very important and, and astute remark. I was I was trying to understand how like Quran can positively impact us. That was without listening or doing my research. I've read a couple of books as well, the latest books. Um, and interestingly, 
most of the books are based on some incidents that happen with the writer or the people they knew. And listening to the Quran and the incidents that um, like related to Nuh and the other yeah, it just kind of relates that the nature is still the same. Like that reasoning, the process is still the same that is formulated by Allah. And then we're just following the same trajectory. Mm-hmm. There, it's an excellent point. When we began, uh, so that we don't drag it, because we said this entire series uh, is divided into themes. So we're still on the first theme of knowledge. And uh, we said, so how do we define this ilm and ma'rifa? How do we define them so that we don't need to keep questioning? Because there are so many definitions out there. And we want a definition that is useful to us, uh, both in the sense that it, it matches or it aligns with what we think we're going to find out in the Quran and in the sayings, uh, but also practical for our daily lives and something we can actually apply, take back in daily life. That's the whole point of the series. Uh, and we ended up saying that uh, this ma'rifah, this knowledge that we gain, um, perhaps the best way to define it is to say that our ability to reach the truth, to understand the truth, but we added a condition as God intended. And inshallah, this will become clearer as we keep going. We've already talked a lot about knowledge and some of its tools and the different disciplines and faculties we have, but we are going to dedicate more time to that, including, uh, I think, given the interest that we've heard, uh, a kind of a, a short series that we would create just for discussing and understanding fitrah and our intuition, and to the extent, to what extent can we rely on it or not. And, uh, but that's the reason why we go back to the as God intended, as an important condition, it's that you recognize that you have been given faculties, including your fitrah, but including your sense perception, including your reasoning. And everything is a matter of balancing how to use those, recognizing you have them, and using them fully, and then the truth should become self-evident after that. Right. right? So that we began the entire series with that assumption. And every lecture, inshallah, it's basically putting that to the test. Are we still okay with that? Are we still moving in that direction where, yes, the, the idea behind this important notion of knowledge or learning, ilm and ma'rifah, or even aql, is your ability to see things as they truly are. So this can apply to individual things, Go look deeper into things, don't get tricked and fooled by what you're seeing superficially, but it can apply to all of life, all of life, your entire existence. Are you really seeing things as they are? Or are there layers preventing you? Are you using all the faculties given to you to see things as they are? Because that's your growth as a human. Or you're stopping short. Right? So the, the whole idea is based on that. And our claim has been, and we've said this a few times, is Islam is supposed to be a knowledge revolution, a thinking revolution. And so in part, it's waking up. Yeah. It's and starting to be okay with, and even not just being okay with, being the drivers, being the ones who lead seeing beyond the superficial. So this applies to the day-to-day, but it applies to all of life. There's a spiritual component, but there's a very material component to this. 
Okay, so inshallah, all of this will, will come together, will keep coming together with every lecture, one step uh, closer to that. But yeah, that's an excellent point. And inshallah, you guys have to keep me, uh, you know, <laughs> on the straight and, and narrow, as they say, when it comes to the practical. I, I have a, a natural tendency to go to the abstract. And, uh, and I try to leave the practical because I'm always thinking that uh, if you deliver the content properly, if, if it's religious content, if it's scriptural content, this is very rich. There's a reason why it lives for millennia. This is a, there's a reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends it to humanity. It's because every person who hears it is going to reinterpret based on what I'm living, not just me, but what I'm living today. Because if I heard it in two weeks, I probably would have different thoughts. And that's why I try not to go too far into the practical examples. Because I always think that what's going on in your mind, if you're fully engaged with what you're hearing, is a lot more effective than the example I'm going to give you. Because you're living something. And you're fully engaged with what you're hearing and saying, well, how does this apply to me? Or how can this help me? Right? But again, we don't want to keep it completely abstract. Then sometimes the link is not clear. How does this relate to anything? This is just kind of an empty notion. So we have to give something that makes that link with the practical clear. But I rely on you guys for that. So I'm happy to hear that you, f you feel like there are practical components to this. It applies to personal and professional and religious life as well. Yeah, alhamdulillah, it's good. Anything else anyone wants to add? Regarding the Fatal Mubeen, yeah. I mean, I heard it a long time back, so kind of it just refreshed my knowledge on that. It's very interesting that in Prophet Muhammad's time, they already said that formula that when there's a contract, you need to write down and you, you need to like have those terms and conditions just in case four years later, three years later, you forget that. Yeah. And that's what things are, how things are being processed in today as well. And while Nuh asked Allah to save his son, and so there's always a source that we, we need to go back. While in today's life in the, in the corporate world, we find so many things uh, that, that are happening. There are logics to it, but still there's no firm answer. How, how did that happen? So behind every successful person someone has given a chance to that person but somebody you know who has given the chance to the person somebody would have put that thing in his heart but there's no answer who did that but as a muslim when like after you like it's kind of you know helps to navigate through that process that how you know all and everything is connected mm -hmm. and how easy it is to find the answers that others can't find yeah, it's, uh, again, I think it's a very deep insight. Um, there is, you know, the, the constant uh, dialogue, debate in society in today's world, I think of, you know, the, is there still a place for religion yeah. in general or not? I think your comment goes to the heart of that. You know, it, it takes that, that way of seeing things. You're looking deep into things. Uh, but when you are, you're, you're looking for a different explanation to things than the mechanical causation, right? Okay, so this caused that. 
this can apply to the scientific world this can apply to as you said human interactions in the corporate world and if you're looking for more where do you find the answer yep. and so you're basically putting your your finger right on it and say there is more yeah. and the more is probably not going to be found in that world out there you need a different kind a different source of knowledge so you're referring to it as religion and as scripture right yeah, yeah it's an excellent remark yeah were you going to say something Ahmed? Um, yeah I mean if, if nobody else has a, has a comment um, it was kind of in the beginning of the lecture it was something that stood out to me um, it was in regards to not speaking when you don't really know what you're talking about or uh, when you're in a position of ignorance to the thing that you're going to talk about uh, I was just thinking that if, if if that's something that most people apply, then a lot of people will just be very silent pretty often, like most of the time. And I was just wondering, how do you balance the, the concept of not speaking about things that you don't know and speaking with the desire to learn something or speaking for the sake of trying to learn something? Where do you find that balance between the two? Um, I think in your question, you have the answer. Uh, and inshallah, this is going to be the next topic of the entire series. Um, it's true that, and I, I was going to add it, but you know, I'm, I'm trying to go fast, so not add that. But the first objection that comes to mind when you see a narration like the one we began with, basically, Imam Ali is saying, you know, if you don't know, don't talk about it, and if it doesn't concern you, also don't talk about it. Um, and the issue or the objection or the question that we may have, and I think your question has to do with that, it's, it, this can become paralyzing. So we know that we still want to act, but now there's this fear that maybe I don't know enough, and when is uh, enough going to be sufficient for me to be worthy of acting, right? To engage in this, when is enough enough? Um, a couple of things, the first one is, the intention and you refer to it and inshallah this is going to be the next part in our entire series what makes knowledge Islamic and inshallah you're gonna see that intention is half of that and the other half is action and so if something is going to lead to paralysis so that you can't act then there's an issue with that knowledge okay so it's not that it, the answer can never be therefore don't act so we need to take that out of the equation. No one should ever take from a saying like this and anything that, you know, sometimes, for instance, we hear about these um, very lofty positions of our saints, for instance. And when you think about it, you say, but I can never be like that. Therefore, paralysis. Therefore, I give up. Okay, but that needs to be taken out of the equation. That can never be an option. So what's, what's the alternative? The alternative is, the reward is, the mission is that you have to keep trying. That this is, there is no beginning and end to the continuum. You have to be on an upward path. And it, most likely for all of us, it's never going to be fully upward. You're going to go up and down and up and down and that's fine. That is part of the journey. But that's fine. The issue is, when this leads to paralysis, you stop. Or when you don't know, you go. No, it means that you know 
you know full, you're fully aware of yourself that you don't know enough about this. The only, I would say, the only alternative is, therefore, go get educated. If you are, you're moving in the right path. If your education at some point is, I'm going to describe it as my personal experience, sometimes the education that you get, the knowledge that you get, you get, sometimes that knowledge itself, there's a click that happens. It's like a slap in the face. <laughs> that, okay, so I need to do something now. Now that I know all of this, what am I doing? You know, there, okay, there will be time for more knowledge, but with the knowledge I have, if I can validate that this is good and truthful knowledge, I need to act on what I know already. And otherwise, it means I'm in a paralysis mode. That I know, but I'm afraid to act. Now that's wrong. It has to. If the intention is good, and you have enough knowledge calling you to duty, calling you to action, you need to move. Now, maybe knowing more is going to cause you to hesitate. That's fine. When you get there, you get there. But that's the continuum. That's the, the journey that never stops. And no two people know, can say that they know the same amount. Maybe if you knew what I know, maybe you're going to be acting a lot more. Or maybe you would be acting a lot less. That's why you are not bound by the duty upon someone else. You're bound by yours. And so somewhere in there, the responsibility is yours. What is your gut? What is your intuition? What is your conscience telling you with the knowledge that you have? Knowing that, you can never be fully self-reliant. You can never be arrogant. You can always be open to recognizing we make mistakes, we have shortcomings, maybe my knowledge is incomplete here, I'm always willing to learn, like you said, then that's it. I would say, what are you waiting for to act? You need to move to action. But, and this is where I think, inshallah, we're going to come to that as part of this series, one of the next topics that we want to address is knowledge of what? And we touched on that in last week's lecture on Imam al-Sajjad There is a religious knowledge and this is giving us the principles to live by. But you also need the knowledge of the thing in itself. You need the knowledge of the world. You need the knowledge of the people. You need knowledge of society. What is it that you want to act on? Do you know enough about it? If not, then, you know, the reasonable person who knows about this, would they say you know enough to act? Or would they say you have no clue what you're getting yourself into? Which means, you know, the rational, reasonable person would say, you need to go and educate yourself. Take three months, six months, one year, whatever it may be, whatever is required, two weeks, a crash course. And suddenly you're not an expert, but you're well informed about it. And you can maybe do something. And it probably will change your outlook. Now you understand that this thing that was black and white is a lot more gray and a lot more nuanced and a lot more complex. And I have to think about these 17 other things that were not on my mind before. But that's fine because I want to act. And that's part of the equation. But that's an excellent question. It's a, I think this is a type of question that we need to constantly be asking ourselves. That, am I ready to act? And if not, then what do I need to do? And if yes, then what am I waiting for? Right? So this is, inshallah, part of you know, it becomes a second nature. And we're kind of hammering the point indirectly in every lecture, right? And we're going to make it a lot more clear in, when we talk directly about what makes, we've been talking about uh, knowledge and reason, knowledge and reason. And we said we have to take kind of a break, which was what we're doing now. Okay, what's the alternative? The alternative is jahl. 
Okay, so now we know this is not an alternative. So we're back to knowledge and reason. Okay, so we've touched so many things. What makes it ultimately Islamic? How do I know that this knowledge is Islamic knowledge? How do I know that this aql is what Islam is talking about when it says aql? Otherwise you fall into cattle or worse. What's the criteria? And this is where we're going to shift gears into action and intention. And that's what makes it Islamic. Okay, so inshallah we'll, we'll get to that. These are deep, excellent comments. Mashallah, very good question and very good answer. <laughs> the whole answer I would summarize, there was a um, New York bestseller book, The One Thing. So you have actually summarized that whole the, the book is called The One Thing? The, yeah, The One Thing. And you have actually answered, what you have answered is like... Can the book? book? Yes, I mean it's, it's the whole book. Good to know. So it's, it's kind of a crash course that you have just, just done that. Excellent. It's rare for me to say what I'm going to say. I've never heard of this book, but I'm going to go find <laughs> it. <laughs> I, can, I can send that. Uh, it's, it's by Keller Williams' owner, the, the real estate. Okay. Yeah. The one thing. Okay. The owner of Keller Williams, the real estate company. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's right. He wrote that book. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's excellent. Thanks for sharing. Any other questions, comments, concerns? Follow. I just put the metaphors that are used in the Quran, and I think I already know the answer, but I just want to make sure. Um, so I think the the, 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 the metaphors that are used are, and I don't know if it's always the case or just sometimes, but they're deliberate in what they mean. So when they're saying um, that person is like a dead person, it's not just making a metaphor it's it's almost like in the, in some realm that's the truth behind it and it, so i'm assuming in that verse that's what i meant but is it always the case or is sometimes metaphors are just metaphors as a general rule the classic answer to this is metaphors are metaphors until proven otherwise but i can assure you that for every metaphor if you dig enough you will see that we have something that confirms that it's that is truly the case so when the Holy Quran says this is, you know, gives you this metaphor or that, yes, it is to help you understand, because that's how metaphors work. Inshallah, one day we can talk about metaphors. That's how metaphors work, to give you something that you know better than what is being described, so that you use that as a bridge, right? So in many cases, the, the, the images that are given, that's the idea behind them. Um, but they're not random. It's not just a stylistic uh, effect of the text that if I give you this image then the text is more beautiful for instance as you would do let's say in poetry no no the, the Quran is linked in reality so when it says it's like this person is dead it's because they are dead but the majority of people will not understand so I'm gonna present it as a metaphor and that this is where you know like you know if we were to descend this Quran on a mountain then you would see it crumbling well does it crumble when I look at it I don't but if I had the heart and the the, the insight of the Holy Prophet, I probably would. So to me, it will stay as a metaphor. But I know that it has a lot more meaning than you know the metaphorical meaning. So every example that you see in the Quran, yeah, absolutely. And again, very deep question. Uh, and specifically, for instance, you gave the example of the person who is dead. Imam Ali salam in Nahj al-Balagh, in one of his sermons, he talks about certain people. Inshallah, perhaps we can read that. We'll go to that. It's a, it's a really good, relevant sermon. 
And at the end of that sermon, he's describing their traits, because it has to do with knowledge too. He's describing their traits, and at the end he says, وَذَلِكَ مَيِّتُ الْأَحْيَاءِ And that is the dead amongst the living. So that, if you look at that person, you would say that person is alive. Imam says that person is the dead. That is the dead among the living. It's just, you know, there's a scholar, a big scholar who's a specialist in, in these areas, and he says death is of two kinds. Some people are dead vertically and some people are dead horizontally. Some people, they die, you know, while they're still up, but the truth is they've died. That person, you know, their heart, their mind, it's been turned off. That person is dead. Yeah, they're still walking and they're still eating and they're still talking, but that person is dead. That's a vertical death. And some people, they only die horizontally. When they actually die, then they die and it looks horizontal, right? They're actually laying on the ground. But some people die while they're in a vertical position. So, yes, absolutely, the, especially that one. But again, if you go back to the narrations, the, these verses that talk about Nur and Dhulma, and there are so many narrations and so many adhiyya that you start thinking there is a deeper meaning to light than what we see in this world. And that is the truth of it. But in this world, we have the metaphorical version of it here. And that's why we, you know, we refer to it as a metaphor when the truth is that's the truth and here is the metaphor. But in any case, this is well described in many narrations too. So, d deeper, deeper uh, topics. Shall we get to them? Yeah, okay, prayer time.